0: For years, Jeff's fans were left wondering. What happened? Was his psyche broken in half from recording an album wrapped in so much pain? Did he sing so hard that he shredded his vocal cords? Was he actually schizophrenic as his lyrics and in interviews seemed to suggest? Of course, none of this was the case. He had never actually disappeared. He'd occasionally show up on Elephant Six albums, would perform with other groups now and then. To help fight against the high prices of bootlegs, in 2001 Jeff put out a concert recorded in 1997, Live Itchatery Joes. Then a short time later, he put out a collection of field recordings of Balkan folk music. Yet people seem more invested in the legend of Jeff Mangum than the reality. He was just some dude who when faced with the prospect of being famous, decided that he'd rather be left alone. In 2001, a friend of his posted this highly edited message on a board. I think it's time that I made a few things clear. First of all, I am not in hiding, as some have said. Where am I supposed to be hiding? Behind a couch? In the cat box? Under the bed? I wake up every day. I walk out into the world and say hello to all the people I meet. The sun shines, the birds sing, the dogs birth out the old woman's eyeballs. The afterbirth overwhelms me. Swimming with strange creatures, etc. Living in the great mystery is enough for me right now." He later says, When I hear people bitching about being famous, I always wonder why they keep doing it. If you don't like doing interviews anymore, then don't. It's that easy. He later went on to explain that he had contracted mono and hepatitis at the same time, and was thus suffering from chronic fatigue. In addition to this, he had also suffered a nervous breakdown that lasted two years. Naturally, fans questioned the authenticity of the message. The information was more or less confirmed, though, when he finally offered Pitchfork an interview in 2002. Still, walking away from fame did little to halt his growing popularity. In true cult fashion, word of mouth and a growing internet culture spread this album ever far. Spoofs of the cover became a meme, the album was name checked on Parks and Recreation, Franz Ferdinand, Caribou. Arcade Fire, and even fucking Keisha named it as an influence. When the album got a re-release in 2005, Pitchfork upgraded the review to 10 out of 10, and Rolling Stone revalued it at 4.5 stars out of 5. In a few short years, a simply well-respected indie rock album found itself rubbing shoulders with Nevermind an OK computer. What would have happened had Jeff Mangum not made himself a legend? We'll never know. Our story is not fully over, though. First off, the forgotten other members of the band went off to make great music after this. Scott Spillane made two fun psychedelic albums with the gerbils, Julian Coster went on to do a handful of projects, most notably the genre-bending garde group The Music Tapes. Maybe the most successful of them was Jeremy Barnes. He continued with the accordion and even offered help to Beirut's successful debut, Gulag Orchestra. Which is a must-listen for Neutral Milk Hotel fans. Though primary songwriter Zach Condon is doing his own thing, he carries the torch lit by Jeff Well. The other main project of Jeremy Barnes is A Hawk and a Handsaw, a wild mix of Eastern European and Middle Eastern folk music with a punk attitude. Their albums are a lot of fun and well worth hearing. In 2010, fans were dropped a huge bomb when Jeff started touring again out of nowhere. Then a year later, The band put out a gorgeous, vinyl-only box set, sales of which were boosted by the inclusion of the first new music by the band in over 12 years, in the form of an EP called Ferris Wheel on Fire. Sadly, it was not a collection of raucous new recordings by an older, wiser Neutral Milk Hotel, but a collection of solo acoustic tracks from before In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Fans of the group will find a lot to love here even if it does feel like a bit of a letdown after such a long wait. And some of these tracks were already circulating on the internet anyway. However, the real treat for fans was in 2013, when the full band began touring the world. A whole generation who'd missed their only chance in 1998 were finally able to get the concert experience they'd been craving. The band played regularly for two years, before announcing in 2015 that they were saying goodbye for the quote, never-ending now. So even though the world was never given that follow-up album, their brief reformation offered the Neutral Milk Hotel story at least a tiny bit of closure.
1: Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms, and we are talking about Neutral Milk Hotel. You have been listening to Aaron Troy-White. Talk you through the band's career and discography, and if you've been listening on the Spotify playlist, you've been listening to a selection of the tracks as well. Still with Nick and myself are Lyle Wagonek. Lyle. Hello, hello, and Aaron Troy White. Hey, Aaron. Howdy, ho. So, Aaron, let's 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 get cracking. Um, how did how did the band get started? I mean, you've talked a little bit in your introductions and obviously there was what the the elephant six collective is that where the story starts or are we starting somewhere before that
0: i don't think you can start before that because i mean they were all childhood friends growing up in uh, louisiana um okay so they, they grew up in louisiana but elephant six wasn't in louisiana right i mean it started out in louisiana there were a bunch of high school friends and uh they played in bands together recorded tapes together and they called themselves Elephant Six. And then um, after that, the everybody went off to university or college, as we say in America. And they just kind of brought in other people with them. And next thing you know, it just became more and more bands. And they kind of started little nodes that were primarily in Denver, Colorado and Athens, Georgia. And they're also there's like a San Francisco wing and things like that. But I guess they they all shared this kind of DIY approach and and they love the Beach Boys. Like it's one thing if you listen through them, they, they like they they took Smiley Smiley and they melted it down in a spoon and injected it into their arms that's how much they love the psychedelic and, era of Beach Boys.
1: And we're talking, we're talking about a bunch of different people who became musicians, and they all went off to do different things. I mean, we've got, we've got Rob Schneider, not that one, the other Rob Schneider, um, who went off to do Apples in stereo as well as produce basically everything we're going to be talking about today. Uh, what other bands were there that came out of this?
0: I mean, there was uh, the Olivia Tremor Control. Um, that was started by the other childhood friends of... Uh, William Doss, and, you know, the other people whose names I don't have memorized. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got Olivia Tremor Control. Because I'm not... more prepared for Neutral Milk Hotel than I am for the uh, we also Olivia had, Tremor Control episode. It's a shame, because they're better. Like,
1: Elf Power, mm, of Montreal. Um, of Montreal. Montreal. Will Cullen Bedouin. Hart,
0: that was one of the other ones. I said Will Cullen Hart, that was the other uh, Olivia Tremor Control guy. Um, nice yeah.
1: bit of Wikipedia. <laughs> right well, it was my notes it was actually my notes it wasn't with it was my notes okay so when was this when when did jeff mangum start to actually start recording
0: stuff uh this would be in the, the the late 80s um okay lots of bedroom stuff in the late 80s
1: um and when did he start so obviously you mentioned there's a couple of early tapes um but we're not really going to get into that only like with someone like daniel johnston would we actually go through the tapes uh and and listen and talk about everything but the first thing that got sort of distributed on cassette semi-officially was hype city soundtrack Um, and this would be what early 90s here
0: early 90s 1993 is when it's
1: usually Uh, so we're talking post grunge and now, instead of there being this sort of grunge rock, we've got this sort of fuzzy, messy, acousticky, electrical thing that's going on. Um, when we're putting this together, obviously there's two major albums, but I, I personally wanted to go through the other stuff because you've got some songs and bits of songs that may start here on Hype City and then six, seven years later, turn up as part of major tracks on In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Um, the the opener of Hype City soundtrack is up and what, up and up and over,
0: up and over away,
1: up and over away, which is a refrain and a part that he finds. It's like he got a bit of a song and he didn't know what to do with it. And then seven years later, it appears on a proper album. Appears on a proper album, and we get some stuff. Um, Aaron, how is this album? Album in parentheses for you. We'll start with you.
0: I. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, I came in here already a fan, but I hadn't heard this before uh, we prepared for this episode. Um, I mean, it's interesting to hear some of the proto versions of the songs that show up in later albums. Um, like, for example, the this version of Garden Head, Leave Me Alone was, uh, I I prefer the later one. But I mean, um, it's already there. He's already got the melody there. Um, it just needed some embellishment to really make it work. Um some other stuff that didn't survive in the later recordings are Wood Guitar, which really stood out for me. Um, and Engine. I think Engine is another track that was the B-side to Holland in 45. Um, and yeah, that Engine, shows up in a Engine's pro version the, here.
1: Engine comes back several times throughout the career, uh, but it is nice to hear it in this
0: early stage. Um, one thing, uh, just just a note, one thing that I made a note of for, for Engine that I really liked is uh, one of the lines in there is, through endless revisions the state what I mean, it's interesting that he put in that song, a song that he's revised so many times over the years.
1: And he's also been quoted the same this is his kids song, right? Like he, this is but engine is basically as close to a song for kids that he'd ever going to write. Um maybe it's in one of his later interviews where he wasn't making as much sense as possible. Um Lyle, we're going to we're going to move over to you at the moment. I mean, during th- this period uh what were you listening to early 90s
2: oh what was i listening to in the early 90s personally oh it would have been like suede you know pulp or rip pop Uh,
1: you got got the brit pop stuff so you were looking you were looking towards england and not really paying attention to what was going on in, in in america um
2: I mean if I was this... listening to Grunge, I was listening to Nirvana. Okay. I was a Nirvana guy, okay. not a Pearl Jam guy. And would I be right <laughs> in thinking, Ewan, that this
3: stuff probably wasn't that well known in the UK until much, much later.
2: Oh god, no one no
1: one I mean had clue. it's very
3: unlikely many people were listening to this in the UK in '93.
1: Oh, in '93 everybody everybody was listening to Blur and Pulp and <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. Um, Lyle, while when you while you when you listened to this. Uh, as part of the preparation. I mean, obviously, I mean, as I said that people would be familiar with the main
2: albums. Was this new to you? Yeah, this is new to me. Um, I actually liked it. I I, for me, the albums got worse as they went on. And this might have been my favorite. Um, I liked Garage Head or Garden Head. Sorry. Although I was kind of waiting for like some drums to kick in. Um, But but I liked it. um, One thing I picked up on this, uh, actually on all the albums, is a slight ramones influence um i feel one song on every album has a oh, oh 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 in it and uh if you listen to synthetic flying machine there is an oh oh oh, oh in it
1: <laughs> the oh uh, that should be the name of a ramones compilation right there oh oh oh, oh. <laughs> every song has an oh oh oh, oh. um yeah. Okay, well we are definitely going to revisit that comment you just made about how all the albums got progressively worse. I mean <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe later. Um for me, I, I was most surprised by how electric it was. How there are actually electric guitars, which is something that totally disappears from Jeff Mangum's music later on. Um so before we started this, um, let's say Nick was ambivalent about neutral milk hotel. Um, but occasionally Nick lets me do stuff because he makes me listen to things like The Fall and Can. And I go, fine, or oh, we'll do an episode of Neutral Milk Hotel. He's like, fine, I'll listen to it. <laughs> um,
3: Nick. <Yeah. laughs> it's pretty much how I discuss go, fine, fine, I'll do your band then. Fine. Uh, fine. If, if, you
1: you're, got, you're, if
0: you had to listen to 33 Fall albums, I'll listen to two Neutral Milk Hotel yeah, albums. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling I
3: won this brain. one. You?
0: <laughs> I, 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 I don't think... Uh, by the way,
1: I mean, I definitely don't come out of this world because by the end of this season, you'll realize why, because there's definitely a lot more of something I'm going to have to listen to, which I haven't got oh. to yet, which is also another one of Nick's. Uh, Nick, Hype yes. City Hello. soundtrack.
3: No recollection of it whatsoever. Can we move on to the next one?
1: <laughs> okay. I Can to I it. add
2: one more thing? Go on. Uh, I was going to add one more thing about this. Um, I was surprised that it didn't sound like Jeff Mangum in mm. the later albums. Like he had a different tone in his voice, and then specifically in bomb drop, it was a lot of screaming. I'm like, okay, yeah. this is just like a totally different thing than airplane over the sea. But
1: yeah, I know um, absolutely. I mean, it's almost like um, a mold, when you listen to Moldy Peaches, and then you listen to was it is it Adam Green from Moldy Peaches who went off and sort of just a normal sort of acoustic, like indie pop songs, and then you go back to Moldy Peaches and he's screaming about penises and watching porn with Demo, and you're like, okay, different guy, different band. Um, okay, well, Nick's, Nick's listened to it and has no recollection of of it, so hopefully, hopefully that's not going to be the cut-out-and-keep-and-repeats response to all the albums, but we'll, we'll see as we move. <laughs> um, so, Aaron, I mean, as far as you know, I mean, where was – Jeff at this time because he was recording this he recorded everything with Rob Schneider, right?
0: Not everything, not the early stuff. Okay. Um, the early stuff, I think he was just going around just recording stuff. Um, I believe uh he was in Seattle when he recorded Hype City soundtrack and everything is. He was he was a bit nomadic at the time, but it seemed like he'd settled into Seattle at this point.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, because there was a live album later on, um, live at JJ Joe's, and he tells a bit of a story about how he ended up he was traveling around and he ended up sleeping on carriages and then a girl left him and then he wrote a song and then he did the same thing again. So, okay, that sort of fits. Um, well, I mean, Hype City Soundtrack, go and find it on YouTube. It's definitely not on Spotify. And it is interesting, particularly if you like to see how a band evolves, but it's not what you would call canon, I guess. And it, am really I right point. in
3: thinking that, that um, Jeff Mangum didn't, doesn't really want that stuff to be out there?
1: But he did release it. They released, released it, it on tape. Okay, yeah, okay. They, it
3: was released on yeah, tape. Yeah, at the time, but, but, but yeah. like, like after the sort of later stuff. Was they he have, they, so keen
0: the, to... He's come out and said that, that there's some of his tapes he doesn't want people to put online. Ah. Um, a lot of the stuff before this, to okay. my knowledge, according to the, ban, to the ban run wiki, this one has not been said that he doesn't want it released online. Mm-hmm. but he has not officially re-released it himself. Okay.
1: Yeah, and this was, re- this was the first thing released uh, by, on the Elephant 6 label and was distributed by Mail Order. The stuff before, like Invent Yourself a Shortcake and Beauty, I think, um, were probably the ones you, they were definitely referring to. But if you release something once officially, um, I'm allowed to listen to it and talk about it, basically. Uh, <laughs> it's not like when Prince took everything off Spotify and we weren't allowed to listen to Prince again anymore. <laughs> Okay, so we're gonna move on. Um, before the first album, there was an EP. Let's touch on it a little bit. Um, everything is is probably the beginning of Neutral Milk Hotel, even though Neutral Milk Hotel is still at the moment just Jeff, yeah, just just Jeff Mangum. Aaron, you said this was released as a small thing and then got bigger. Um, no, I
0: don't think. Well, it, yeah, I guess it started as a as a two song single. Um, it was it was. Everything is with the. I'm so confused because I've been listening to all the the different versions of this oh, of yeah, this particular single. Um, but it was uh, the original was everything is and snow song part one. I think were the two tracks on the first version. Okay, um, and then
1: by the time it was by the time it had been fully extended, we had what seven eight tracks.
0: Yeah, like about seven tracks,
1: including one who, which name I can never remember. It's something like Auntie's smegma blowtorch or something
0: eggma's blowtorch that's it
1: <laughs> i'm, I'm on the, yeah crap how am i not gonna say smegma come on um, <laughs> so what's different i, I I'll, I'll start with you and then go over to over to loud again what's different musically between the early tapes and here how, he evolved into something that is considered to be a band musically, or is it still just a bunch of half finished songs trying to find a home?
0: Um, I I would say it's more of the half-finished songs in search of a home. Um my my first note on this that I wrote is this isn't really the same artist as later, just like what you guys have said. Um he's singing in a comfortable place in his voice. I think he's he's sticking to a range where he knows he can he can make it work. Um, there's none of that nasally belting. So I, I think this is very much uh, a continuation of what we heard on Hype City soundtrack. And there's also not that melancholy that would come up later. Um, yeah, it's more young, more fancy free, um, very psychedelic, just simple catchy pop songs. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of really good stuff. The, the track itself, everything is, I think, is that's, a,
1: that's become a fan favorite of years track. from what I can gather. Yeah. Um, Lyle, again, I mean, I, I'm not even going to ask every time. Did you? Know- know this beforehand um but coming from well you've already told us everything gets progressively worse how much worse is this one
2: (laughs) i know this is about (laughs) the same um i I feel like the first um you know hype city everything is and ferris wheel on fire it's all like really good demos um so when i listen to it, it's like oh i you know i liked everything is like the title track i like snow song um but i guess that's the lo-fi thing is it's supposed to sound like that when I'd hear a good song, I'd be like, oh, I, wanna, I would love to hear a fully produced version of that. Um, I do also have Everything Is More Ramones O-O-O. Oh, oh, oh. So <laughs> that, that is continuing.
1: <laughs> um, Nick, you like the Ramones. You must love this.
2: <laughs> I have no recollection of a terrible of segue. It. <laughs> oh, come on.
1: <laughs>
3: I don't know. No, this one, no. Okay, okay. I was duped into listening to this because on the Spotify version, it's tacked onto the end of Avery Island. <sighs> Um, so
1: you were you you listened by
3: stealth i listened by stealth yeah spotify made me listen to this but yeah it's uh there isn't it
1: um i think what what i'm going to do is i'm going to get um um, after the podcast has ended i'm going to ask nick's opinion of bands that he has opinions of and then i'm just going to edit it into this bit and pretend that he's talking about neutral milk hotel
3: (laughs) But you you can probably just Um, sort of like you know paste it together from previous episodes make me sound really enthusiastic about it yeah
1: well at the moment we've got ambivalence i'm hoping we go one way or the I other listen,
3: i listen to the albums i'll I, i'll be I'll, I'll be brutally honest i listened to the other stuff but it was like once through nothing stuck the albums i paid attention to I only really had two albums to do so i tried to do them properly um and i'm conflicted but, but we'll <laughs> get there we'll get to the good stuff
1: apparently there's going to be some good stuff okay well i mean this is why we're here is mainly to talk about the the studio albums. so we're going to go and spend some time with the studio albums i mean Avery Island, uh, on Avery Island, uh, which from, again, I did probably the same cursory research in terms of fan wikis. Uh, Avery Island was a public garden on the Louisiana Gulf Coast. And Jeff said once he had a spiritual experience there. Um, There's lots of stuff Jeff has said in interviews. And one quote, one quote that I'm going to read out basically to you was about how they recorded it in Denver, the album in Denver, Uh, with Robert Schneider. uh, Not that one. Um, And he said, it was January in Denver, freezing cold and snowing all over. I moved into a friend's house and was living in a closet. and It was cold, not only because of the weather, but because it was a haunted house. The closet I was living in was haunted. And he talked for a while about how it's haunted by some party. And he lived in the closet and he listened to John Coltrane. And occasionally Robert would come and get him and they'd record something. And he went back to this closet. Now, I mean, whether or not this is, if is true, Jeff Mangum's insane. Um, if it's not true, it's it's part of a great story, I guess, about him. Um, Aaron, what's different? Has he settled down? Is he still on the bus? Is he still greyhounding from state to state? Or is, has he got roots at this point?
0: No, I wouldn't say he has roots. I think he's he's still, uh, he's still moving around. Um... He he temporarily relocated in Denver. Uh, everything is got him some attention. It got him a, a a manager or not really a manager, but a but an agent. That's what they call those people. Got him an agent that hooked him up with a label, and he, he got on Merge, and they got him to do his first album on Avery Island. So he thought, well, Rob, he's he's a good friend. He knows how to produce recordy stuff. Um, but that point, Rob had started up uh, the Apples and Stereo. Um, he had set up a tiny little recording studio in a house and seemed like a, a great place to make his his first proper album. Um so yeah he moved into the haunted closet and him and him and Rob just recorded stuff. It was just it was it was really just them kind of experimenting, recording stuff, doing just messing around. Just sounds like they just stayed up all night every night for like a few weeks. In the haunted closet and recorded stuff like it really just sounds like they're just effing around for a while.
1: I, yeah, I mean, even, even on that, I mean, in terms of if you look at the credits for, for instrumentation, uh, Jeff Mangum guitar, drums, vocals, bells, xylophone, air organ, keyboards, tapes, Rob, Rob Schneider, not that one, air organs, home organs, fuzz bass, xylophone, horn arrangements, and then you got a bunch of other people who came and did some trombone and some more fuzz bass, some accordion, and cowbell. There's always some cowbell somewhere. Um, this is okay. So, this is where we've actually got some tracks. We've got a re- Revisiting Garden Head, Leave Me Alone, which I think is an amazing track. Uh, it starts off with Song Against Sex, which is a really, really good track. Naomi's great. April 8th is also a good one. Um, I think this is a great album. I mean, I, there are times in Pre Sisters Swallowing a Donkey's Eye at the end that if I'm busy, I might end the 13th end the song a bit earlier and go off and do something else but for me this is a this is a really 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 good album um lyle have we started the decline yet
2: uh no well it's hard because (laughs) the first first group of stuff was like in a totally different league they were it was more demo-ish he was singing like a different person he was screaming at times and then i would say this is where it really starts this is where i start to like Get strong opinions about things. And I was like, time traveled back to when I lived in Athens from 99 to 01. Cause I heard this, I'm like, oh yeah, I've totally heard this before. So you should have asked, have you heard this before? I would have said yes. Cause oh, so, so Lyle, the type of... um,
1: you used to live in Athens round about the uh, round about the, during the late 90s uh and early noughties i think um this must have been playing in every coffee house right you must have heard this before
2: why yes it was in fact i used to visit jittery joe's uh and it was probably playing in there and that's where jeff mangum recorded live at jittery joe's um although it's in a different location yeah Mm. it's actually right uh where he recorded that album is down the street from the 40 watt which is like the famous you know athens Indie venue, okay. um, which I did play at once. So there's my claim to fame. But uh... go ahead.
1: No, I was going <laughs> to say, is, I mean, so what was the scene like? Is there a, I mean, obviously, what you got, basically, you got REM and Neutral Milk Hotel. That's Athens, right?
2: B 52s, so, uh, widespread E-52, panic. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there were drive by truckers and, um, you know, Driving and Crying was a big band at that time. But th- those are all kind of different styles. Um, I, Okay, so this is where I get. Stronger, Longer Opinions. There was definitely a scene at that time that um, was very do-it-yourself, outsider art, naive art. Um, and I I think as like music scenes kind of begin as a reaction of other conventions, but then they develop their own conventions, which becomes their own set of rules. And then they distance themselves maybe from other people. So I think probably by ninety nine oh oh when I was there, um definitely a strong lo-fi this kind of folk rocky thing um i mean i remember olivia trimmer control playing there and all that type of stuff um but it, but it was uh, you know i respect what they were doing in like hey we want trumpet on this track does anyone play trumpet no but give me a week and i'll be able <laughs> to play something uh and then they record it and now you have a trumpet on your song um you know i i respect that type of drive that they had. At the same time, it was also pretty isolated. Like, you wouldn't have anyone who was into that music. Like, they wouldn't be allowed to be listening to Destiny's Child or, um, you, you know, even... Well, they could probably listen to Radiohead, but, you know, you had to fit within those rules. But I, but I like it. Okay. Um, I like the song Against Sex. Um, that's, like, the one other song that has been an earworm in my head over the past couple of days. Um,
1: you said about the trumpet, or... Um... One thing I do like about both these albums, this one and the next one, is what I would call drunk brass instruments. All the brass instruments sound slightly drunk. Now there's an am- it's maybe it's because of an amateurish quality to it, but it's not like it's not like you're listening to, I don't know, Coltrane and there's some very good, accomplished playing. It just sounds like something like, <laughs> and I really like that. <laughs> it just yeah. sounds it sounds like the trombone and the trumpets had a bit to drink. And isn't quite there yet. Um, Nick.
3: Hello. Um,
1: Nick, did you remember this album?
3: Yes. Yes. Not only do I remember (laughs) it, I listened to it it several times. And um, it gets complicated for me because I find it very hard to talk about my feelings for On Avery Island without talking about my feelings for In the Aeroplane. Because I really, really like this album. (gasps) I think it's great um it's it i uh, know i mean I, I i listened to it again just before the podcast i said you know this is this is you're expecting me to come on and slag neutral milk hotel and their stupid name but this album <laughs> is actually it, it's shit hot um and i i and like you i like the drunk drunk brass sounds um this the, the, the arrangements are much more subtle than in, in the airplane over the sea i think um probably maybe they just didn't have as many people in the room i i don't know because you don't have that fucking cacophony that you've got going on on the next album. Um, and, and yes, stuff like, uh, the first track song against sex, you mentioned a couple of times already, the, the guitar sound on that's amazing. Um, so I love yeah. the whole lo-fi thing. Um, and on paper, there's a lot about, um, Nutri Milk Hotel. When I read about it, I think I should love this band. I should, I, you know, they should be right up my street, but there's sort of a pressure to like the next one. And I think that really, really rubs me up the wrong way somehow. um, because I, I like get it, oh, this I this one like, fire. Like you know. look
1: surprised by that, but one thing I've learned from you after overdoing these podcasts is if somebody hands you something and goes, This is an amazing album, you go, Is it now? I'll fucking see about that. Well
3: yeah,
2: but I will. <laughs> I mean this is it, it's it's difficult
3: not to do that because because and, and I think I've said this before. You, you you go in, if someone says to you this is a classic, then you sit down, you're like, right impress me (laughs) you know you can't help it because someone's told you it's amazing i don't want to go into an album like that i'd rather go in totally cold and be pleasantly surprised and maybe i would love it maybe i'd come out fighting for it i don't know but i don't think i will because i fucking hate it but we'll come back to that because that's the other one (laughs) this one's good this one's good
1: (laughs) um so i mean you said maybe that you you used the word cacophony for the next one which we're not quite onto yet but is there also a thing i'm going to go over to, to aaron for this i think um, this was all Jeff, right? He hadn't, didn't really have a band at this point. Just oh, Jeff and Hotel. Rob
0: and some random people in Denver. Yeah, as yeah. opposed
1: to later on when he's got Jeremy Barnes and an actual band who he's working right, with. Right, because I never
0: feel like I'm listening to a band.
3: I always feel like this is just Jeff Mangum. There's no sense to me of Neutral Milk Hotel as a band. Maybe they do become a band, but in my mind, they're just this guy and some people he's brought into a room to hit things.
1: <laughs> now, they, they, they become a band. I mean, they're still him but they yeah. become a band driven by him. Yeah, whereas yeah. at the moment, it's him. It's him and Rob and a couple of people being being dragged in. And maybe, maybe uh, that limitation of just, or freedom of just being himself, and he hasn't quite gone off the rails yet, uh, maybe that led to a different type of album. Um, we'll talk about Aeroplane later. Um, but Aaron, I mean, I mean, is this, I mean, I'm get, I'm getting the opinion that basically this is Nick and Lyle maybe Nick and Lyle's high point of the Neutral Milk Hotel canon.
0: Um Aaron, help, be be on my side here. <laughs> um I mean I don't I'm I'm going to avoid talking too much about the next album. Um but the next album is is one of my favorite albums of all time. Um I'm going to be honest about that. Um I think like a lot of people I look down upon this album on Fairly, because i think that it is nearly as good to be honest um i think he has a lot of the elements that make the in the airplane over the sea so great i think those elements are already here it 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 plays like a suite it has that it, it feels like like it's a well thought through album so it does flow um there are little pieces like little uh melodies that pop up later and some songs will get reprises and has the same type of stuff. But I just, I kind of look at these two, out like I feel like On Avery Island is like Emilio Estevez of Neutral Milk Hotel. <laughs> like,
1: Wait, I like Emilio Estevez. Yeah, he's, like, my fa- exactly.
0: he's my Exactly, Emilio Estevez there. is great. And, and he might actually be better than Charlie Sheen. <gasps> but the thing is, they look a lot alike they do a lot of the similar roles. Um, so are we just, talking more about this one more is like a just one thing, is right? is completely <laughs> bipolar and insane and the other one is just wacky and fun. Um Emilio Estevez is less polarizing I guess than Charlie Sheen, but I think Charlie Sheen has a lot more people who are going to be like, "Yeah, Charlie Sheen." We love two and a half men. Tiger Blood. No, no one has ever said I love two and a half men, but, but you, you get my point here. Sort of. Sort of. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a bad one. I just... um, if you're listening, by the way,
1: and you do love two and a half men, uh, I would say let us know. But I mean, at the moment, any reviews we get are so fucking weird anyway. I mean, as a brief aside, our most recent review, which I will thank you very much for, starts with, oh my God, I fucking love this podcast. Um, I haven't actually listened to it yet. so um yeah i mean feel free to leave a review just saying i love two and a half men um that'd be great thanks (laughs) just put five stars next to it Um, okay so avery island came out um, it wasn't massively uh successful um it was critically respected is that fair enough to say i words it, not nodding heads and shaking heads doesn't got, work on a, it it,
0: <laughs> it got released it, it got picked up and released in the uk um it was it got it built them enough of following that he needed the tour for the album. Um it got good reviews and it was enough that this album did well enough that Rolling Stone reviewed the next one when it came out. So I mean, Rolling Stone's not just gonna like take some like oh some some guy's bedroom recordings and be like, oh, I wonder yeah. what his next album's gonna be like. So Okay. It's um, it's hard looking at this stuff in hindsight because it's become such a thing, you know, now yeah. 20 some years later that it's hard to look back at the sources and not be like, well, Avery Island, like it's hard to look at Avery Island as it is without the follow up album. Yeah. But I feel like the evidence shows that this was not ignored on its release, because I don't think in the airplane over the sky would have or in the airplane over the sea, excuse me, would have been reviewed by Rolling Stone and Pitchfork and all these things if on Avery Island didn't get a following.
1: Okay, well that's probably a good time to to sort of move on a little bit. Um before we get to the next main album, um the next thing you can actually listen to, I guess, is uh live at Jittery Joe's. There were so many bootlegs knocking about the place and bootlegs of live shows that the band went, fine, we'll release something. And it's uh it's just just Jeff and a baby crying for about half an hour while he he sings songs that are not quite finished. Honestly, there is a baby uh, and the sound of People drinking glasses and people go, we love you. Um, but you can hear songs that aren't quite ready yet for the next album. Um, you there's some good stuff in there, but it is a sort of weird bridge. So we're going to move straight on to the classic. Um, although when it came out in the airplane over the sea, Enemy gave six out of ten. Pitchfork uh, gave it something like an eight or a seven uh, and ranked it sort of it's yeah, respectable. Later on. That everybody revised they went back oh no actually it's amazing but we'll talk about that retrospective uh look airplane over the sea what year was this Aaron it' uh, it's 98 98 um
0: what else what, what else was coming out in 98 in the U.S. God not, 98 was a terrible time for music wasn't it well 98 was an amazing year for
1: UK music because you had um, things like uh, Radiohead and Blur were, were, were at their creative peak. Uh, Spiritualize were at their creative peak. You've got probably the best albums by those three bands doing the rounds round about '98. I think one maybe came out in '97. Primal Screen were doing loads of good stuff. I mean, for me, America was asleep, apart from maybe Sleater Kinney in the late '90s. Matchbox um,
0: Twenty, you know.
2: Yeah, I was. I was looking at. Goondles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I was looking at this and I was like, well, what was I listening to? And it was, you know, Mezzanine by Mez- Massive mm-hmm. Attack and This Is Hardcore, um, yeah. you know, Exterminator by Primal Scream. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Which
1: is Primal Scream's best album. Um, <laughs> yeah, because while you were in Athens, because uh, I, I was over on the West Coast of the US at the time listening to the local uh, alternative rock station and all I remember was it, is it Everlast? Oh. Father of mine. That was on a lot. And um, Three Eye Blind or something. Yeah, there was lots of... and uh, um, Everclear. 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 And then oh. Steal My Sunshine was on pretty much five times a day. Um, yeah. That's ha- what I remember American radio being at the, at the end of the 90s. Um, okay, let's just get to it. Um, this album has been uh, held up as one of the greatest albums of all time by some. It is actually one of my top three albums, I think. Um, although I came to it like... I came to it late with the sort of pitchfork thing 10 years later and then realized that it is brilliant. It's also the only time I will ever listen to bagpipes and go, huh, good bagpipes. Um, we're going to go in a different order. We're going to start with Nick because Nick's got <laughs> a face.
3: Well, the bagpipes. Nick. but then So about 15 years ago, I was in a record shop with my cousin. He's a guy called Alan Sims. He's in the Facebook group, Uh that's uh, Facebook.com slash group slash temp fans, if you want to join. And um, at that time I think we didn't we didn't know each other that well, but we both, you know, knew we liked our music. And I think we were doing that thing when you're fans where you're stalking around each other's taste a little bit, trying to work out, you know, where the crossover and thing is and stuff. And we saw a copy of um, in an aeroplane over the sea in the record shop. And he said to me, these are his exact words, he said, buy that record. If you don't like it you can tell me to fuck off. So I bought it. And you know what I was saying earlier about when, when someone tells you a record's great and you sit down like, okay, impress me. I mean, I'd really been primed for this one. <laughs> and well, listener, not long after my cousin got an email that simply said, fuck off. Because I just didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I didn't listen to it again. And I think a few times after here and there, I'd try it again. Because you know, when, when an album's got that kind of reputation, I do genuinely want to like it. I want to know what people see in it. I want to have a bit of what you're having. So I'd listen to it, listen to it, never really got there. Uh, then we did it in the Facebook group a few years ago, still didn't like it. And I'm still like, I don't know at well this time. Okay. Sometimes I listen to it and it's just mildly annoying. It's all right. I don't know. Um, I was listening to it this Friday and I think I was a little bit stressed and I just, it made me angry. I started shouting at it. and and specifically <laughs> when those fucking bagpipes started up, I was just like, shut the fuck up. And the, the, the Jeff Mangum, why any twat? I can't, it's just, he's like, like the guy who ruins parties with his guitar. Um, <laughs> this like real, but he is, he's that guy. It's like so fucking earnest. But then and earlier on, when you were saying like the, like the Hype City soundtrack like needed embellishment, like this stuff's embellished relentlessly to the point of being unlistenable. It's just- On that front,
1: um, the 33 and the third book um, by Kim Cooper does say yeah. that this, this album, when it came out, was the most distorted album mm-hmm. up to this point. Um, when Rob Snyder, not that one, uh, was recording everything, it was basically microphones next to amps, next to microphones, just to make it sound fuzzy and big and loud, um, which I think makes it sound different and brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, um, it gives you feelings that I had for Tago Mago.
3: Yeah. Um, well, this is, is the thing It's is, is what I was talking about. On paper, there are things about it I should like, and and I should, you know, when I when I'm ranting about a cacophony and stuff, I say this. As a fan of Trout Mask replica. So I'm well aware that there are albums on pedestals that are pedestal, pedestals, Peter, Peter. Anyway, there are albums that are put up there, right? And, and there are, to many people, just a cacophony. And, and so if I, I inwardly wince when I'm berating it for this because I know that there are albums I love, which are open to that accusation very easily. So I'm still trying to, you know, I'm, I'm circling around, trying to work out what it is. And I think it's Jeff Mangum. I just find him a bit whiny and annoying. You said you it said over earnest. I mean, surely
1: an album that basically three-thirds, three, three-thirds three-quarters of is about Anne Frank, yeah. and the rest of it is a, a jumble of of, fant- of of fantasy nonsense. How is that, Ernest? I mean, it's it's almost an Anne Frank Holocaust concept album. Um, written by a man who got obsessed and was wandering around, going slightly crazy. Um, Lyle, um, do you like this glorious cacophony? Um, do you like Anne Frank's Diary of a Young Girl? I mean, I don't know why I'm asking that question. <laughs> I mean, in the Venn I mean, diagram of liking cacophony and 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 the Anne Frank book, this would be the perfect mix, right? <laughs> it
3: can um, we not confuse I'm those s- two things just just before <laughs> Lyle starts? Because I, I, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to. I want my feelings towards this album to be blurred with the whole canon of uh, Holocaust testimonial literature because i really maybe that's one of the things that annoys me about it
0: <laughs> what what do you hate about night it, it, it won a nobel prize nick <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, lyle lyle back to you i mean you, you sort of precursed precursed. you sort of gave us a precursor by saying which yeah. direction the albums were going but has it fallen off a cliff like with nick or is this just an overrated album or i mean how do you feel what do
2: you like I feel like I need to like, like dissect the album and give like a thumbs up, thumbs down on like every little part of it. Um, Because like his voice, thumbs down. Uh, Overall album, thumbs down. The lyrics, I I like reading the lyrics. Um, I think they're kind of weird and strange and interesting. Um, The title track is an earworm. Uh, It's been in my head for a couple of days so I can I can kind of give it a lot of positives but um I was talking about outsider art and this really this album reminded me of uh, this artist Henry Darger who uh, died at 81 in 1970 he was a janitor in Chicago who lived in a room um, had a really strange life look him up Um, And when he died, they discovered a 15,000 page epic that he had written um, about the Vivian girls, which were seven girls who all looked the same and they fought um, evil forces. And um, they also found thousands of watercolor and mixed media that he had produced over the years. Um, So when you look at something like, and, and, you know, outsider art, it's, it's naive, it exhibits extreme mental states, uh, unconventional ideas. Um, and so I, I can appreciate something when it's coming from this kind of place of naivety, um, and it's got a lot of heart and emotion into it. But for me a lot, music is context. Wh- uh, where and when do I want to listen to an album like this? And I just find myself going like, rarely if ever. There's there's no moment where I'm like, oh, I really want to listen to this album right now. Um, Doesn't mean it's not great for other people. Doesn't mean it it doesn't emotionally affect other people. um, But I'm just like, eh, you know, whatever. It reminds me of being back in Athens in 98 with a certain group of people. um, And, you know, they're fine people, but uh, it's just not my thing.
1: Wow. I mean, like for me, I mean, I listen to, I mean, I listen to this probably once a month, maybe. Uh, Yesterday, I listened to it on the bus. And traveling, uh, yes, I listened to it on the bus. Um, and I love it from start to finish. Although, the first time I listened to it, I think the, the, the second you, you hear I Love You, Jesus Christ, quite early on in the album, it does make you go, oh, no, no, no what now? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but then it, it starts with I Love You, Jesus Christ. And it's also an album that has most uses of the word semen um, <laughs> of any album I've ever known, at least in two songs. Um there's definitely references to incest and and masturbation and various weird things. There's Anne Frank all over it. Um I mean, personally, song-wise, I mean if I had to go through them, um King of Carrot Flowers Part One, Aeroplane Over the Sea, Two Headed Boy, Holland 1945, Communist Daughter is great because also it's really easy to play on the guitar. Um, and commonly, which I would should hate because it's long and regular listeners. To this will know that me and long tracks don't really work, but it just keeps going and building and doesn't stop and doesn't stop and eventually just gets just this amazing crescendo on what three chords, I guess. Um Most I like his voice. <laughs> it probably is two. I mean, I think I think this album is almost flawless um for me. But also I'm aware that when albums are held up as flawless albums and classics, I'm a bit like Nick. I want to go, no. No, i mean usually i mean friends of mine will know that they'll go hey you you must try bob dylan you must try neil young and i'll go no this is shit and about eight years later they'll get an email from me going, oh this bob dylan's all right yeah or or whatever it'll take me a while to get round to it but for this this album is purely ingrained into me there are certain loops and certain songs um every time in my life every time someone says to me what is this i respond a center for ants because it's the line from zoolander i can't I can't not. Um, and every time someone someone, say, uh, what is it? Uh, someone says, uh, this wasn't the first time, I go, in fact, it was twice in a row. Like my brain will instinct, instinctively pull out the next lyric because it's the next line from that. And I can't help it. This is my Zoolander quote album. Um, I know backwards from start to finish. And I think it is amazing. And Aaron, I've got a feeling you're more my side than those guys.
0: I, I will say that I am... Definitely more on your side. Um, I I also came into this album um, with, a, with a similar thing to Nick in a way in that I had some guy claim to me that it's the greatest album ever made and I had to listen to it. Um, this is a little bit of a story, um, but I think it's funny because it makes me look like an idiot. But when I was 17 years old, my favorite band was Fish. PH Fish. P the PH Fish. The,
1: and the, the, the one the one that has 50 million different things on Spotify and they're all different live shows. That Fish. I, yeah, it's,
0: <laughs> it's like it's like a, the, the the Grateful Dead of the 90s in a way. Um, they're my favorite band, and I really wanted to meet them, and I had this plan to meet them. So I went to this little musical this little music festival in in uh, Wisconsin, and one of the bands playing there. At a bass player that came from my tiny town of like a thousand people. And my dad was the editor for the newspaper. My thought was that I told my dad, I'm like, dad, this bass player is from our town. I should write an article about that bass player. And I'm going to talk to him at the music festival. So I sent him an email and I'm like, hey, man, you're from my town. My dad's the editor of the newspaper, and he just gave me a thumbs up to write an article about your band. So my idea was that I was going to meet him backstage at the festival because I'd never been to a festival. I thought there was a backstage. It wasn't. And I thought when at the backstage, I was going to meet one of the other big bands I was playing at the festival that was playing at another festival where Fish was going to play at Bonnaroo. So I thought, okay, I'm going to meet this guy and he's going to, of course, I'm going to be so charismatic that he's going to introduce me to the other band. And then the other band's going to introduce me to Fish. That was literally my thought process when I was 17. It didn't Um, work out like that. I never met Fish. Um, That's the. Basically,
1: it was almost famous. You're just telling me the story for the movie, Almost Famous.
0: Yeah, except for Kate Hudson wasn't there. <laughs> unfortunately, did you ever write the article? Um, I I I can't remember. If I did. He wanted me to review the album, and I'm like, the, the local newspaper doesn't do album reviews, dude. I think that's what I told him. But here's the thing that I remember most from the from the interview is that he kept talking about Neutral Milk Hotel. And even at 17, I'm like, this is the dumbest name I've ever heard. What the hell is this Neutral Milk Hotel? He's like, this album, man, it changed my life. Like everything we do, everything we live. We're chasing this. We're going to make our version. And and it was just like folk music with a trombone in it. Like that was the band. But he's like, oh, we're going to do it. And so I came with this mixed thing because like, okay, this weird stoner guy from my town um, thinks this is the greatest album of all time. So it's like, oh, it came with a with a big thumbs up. But I didn't really like his band very much. Um, And the name was terrible. So I kind of ignored it. And then it came to me. Someone gave me an MP3 of it, like I don't know, ten years later, or something like that. It must have been two thousand nine. And then I listened to it. I'm like, "This is Neutral Milk Hotel. This is fantastic. This is great. I understand the 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 crazy stone guy that added a a trombone to his folk band and thought that he was doing something special. Um, and I think it. I think it is a really good album from 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 start to finish. Uh, the the opening chords of um King of Carrot Flowers just draws me in i think the whole album just propels you forward from one song from one song to the other um there's just so many moments that are just brilliant on here on the on the title track there's this point where um it gets really quiet and and all you hear is just squeaking it sounds like a bed squeaking and it's just a really subtle moment but like there's something really affecting about that there's for me this whole album is just is is just of affect like it's it's just sounds like jeff mangum took like a cable and like injected it into his heart and he was playing directly out of it i I feel like his his emotions are so intense on this and a lot of it comes from just him belting through his super nasally screamy voice out of key um but but songs like oh Comely," like it's really hard for me to listen to that without actually like getting choked up sometimes because it his his sorrow just pours through every song even the happier seeming songs and i think also with the cacophony and the the weird instrumentation the accordions and the horns and i i just i just think it works just all the way through um i don't like a lot of the stuff it it influenced um i think it ruined open mic nights um for a (laughs) long time from People just thinking that the key to Neutral Milk Hotel is singing nasally out of key. Um, I've heard a lot of really, really bad versions of a two-headed boy at open mic nights. Um, but overall, uh, if it has- this worked- works. His out of key thing, yes, it's, it is annoying. I get why people hate it. But for me, it works. It just it, it, it vibrates right with me. And I'm not a lyrics guy, but I love the lyrics to this album. Um, like the first song, just it sounds like the film Gummo. I don't know if you guys have seen Gummo, um, but like yeah. the the, ha- the Harmony, first track Harmony, kind of sounds like Corrine? like like the musical version of Gummo. Um,
1: check uh, check out Gummo um, on IMDb. I believe it's Harm- Harmony Corin.
0: Corinne? is that? Yep. that was yeah. Gummo? That
1: was his first film, yeah. I think. Yeah, um, before Kids. Uh, quickly on the album, on the on the band name thing. I mean, I guess bands in America must have just had good names because I grew up with bands called Pop Itself, Ned's Atomic Dust, Being Gay, Bikers and Acid. Um, just. Terrible word salad band name. So, Neutral Milk Hotel for me is just like, oh, okay, it's just another one of those, just another one of those,
3: (laughs) you know? Yeah, but Um, there's there's good word salad names and bad word salad names, though, aren't there? Like, you know, this is, this is, they're all, it's like three insipid words put together. (laughs) So, it's just like a triumvirate of insipidness. Insipidity? Surely that
1: might surely that's the the genius of the name i mean if it is insipid but neutral is in there it's it's even i can't i I can't i I, I can't try
3: (laughs) and to to be honest you know what if i liked them i'd probably mount a defense too i mean that's (laughs) the thing with a nonsense name isn't it but you know i don't so uh fuck the name (laughs) it's a bad name
1: so so when this album came out it, it had good it was well received but it was later on that websites such as say pitchfork Went back and bumped it up from 98th best album of the of, of the decade to fourth best album of the decade. Uh, bumped it up to giving it a 10 out of 10. Um, by this point, Jeff had basically disappeared. Um, but I mean, he was offered; they were offered a, a, a touring slot with REM. Uh, turned it down. He got stressed, had nervous breakdown vanished uh, to the point that he was often referred to as the J.D. Salinger of indie rock because he literally had vanished off the face of the planet and there was more myth and legend than anything else. Um, Do we think that the fact that the band then disappeared and the fact that you couldn't find Jeff anywhere and the other members of the band went on to various other musical uh, endeavors, uh, Hawk and Hacksaw being one of them, Jeff... Totally vanished, to the point that no journalist could find him, to the point that no fans had spotted him. Um, occasionally there'd be some weird field recordings turn up on a website, or he'd turn up years later playing two acoustic songs in a parking lot outside a gig and then vanish again. Do we think that that myth and mythos and ethos mythos, um, helped create this retrospective uh, viewing of the album? Do you think that because he disappeared? People look back and then went. Oh, actually, this was better than we thought. What do we think, Lyle? You're in the middle of camera wise. Also, you're probably in the middle opinion wise. This is quite good. <laughs> On my left, listener is, is is Nick. On my right is, is Aaron. <laughs> yeah. And in the middle, in the middle of the neutral Milk Hotel is is Lyle. What do, what happened to make them so big retrospectively?
2: I don't know. I mean, that's that's like why I'm sitting here <laughs> just like I. <laughs> I'm sitting I mean, here with more questions than answers. Um, yeah, because I, cause, cause I almost look at that scene. And I think that that's just such a, that just fits in with the rules of that scene. You get big, you get to a point where R.E.M. wants you on tour. And you're like, no, I'm happy just kind of like living in an apartment in a small town, playing the coffee shops every once in a while. Like, I don't need to go up to that next level. That next level is not a place that I should even go to. Now I don't know if that's how things turned out. Maybe um, you know, maybe there was some mental health issues there. As far as the the, the myth, I mean, I like I love that for you too. It, it emotionally resonates for you. But as I'm sitting here, I'm like wondering. Like I want some psychologist to do a big study on why this album affects some people one way and why it totally affects people in a different way. Because um, I, I don't know what that is yet. Yeah,
1: I mean, well, that's I mean that's music. I mean, generally, I guess. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, we got, I mean, at this point, I mean, I think there was one interview, one conversation in 2002 with with Pitchfork. And I'm going to quote, uh, he said, I went through a period after aeroplane where a lot of the basic assumptions I held about reality started crumbling. I guess I had this idea that if we all created our dream, uh, probably music, we could live happily ever after. So when many of our dreams had come true and people, my friends were still in pain, I saw the pain from a different, different perspective and realized I can't just sing my way out of this suffering. And then they totally vanished. Um, there was one journalist who tried to find him and kept l- looking for him. Eventually, got an email back from him going, "No, I'm just some I'm just some guy who wants to be left alone." Um, until at some point he came back. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, I mean, why do you think some albums have a different people have a different view of them when they look back on it? Is are they affected by what pe- the general sort of groundswell towards it? Is there this sort of myth that changes people's perceptions? What
3: or what what? Of course I mean I think I think the the context of the album is is hugely important. You can't you, you know you, you always get people sort of trying to to talk about this stuff in some sort of uh, objective way, but it just doesn't exist. That's how how music works and your feelings about it are inextricably wrapped up with the story and frankly, on the basis of the story alone, I really want to like this album. There's a lot about it, the mythos and the around it that makes it intriguing just infuriatingly, and this is probably why I get so angry is the is because. I really want it to work and it just doesn't for me. And I get that it does for you. And that's the thing. He's you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, say, well, you guys are wrong to like it. <laughs> obviously not. I think, I, you know, I'm just annoyed that I don't.
1: I mean, I, I totally get that. It could be a difficult, a difficult one. And I could see that it, I could very easily have not liked it. There's certain things about it that could, I could have easily gone down the other side. Um, and when I did start to hear the story, read the stories about how uh, he was starting to have dreams about actually owning a time machine and going back and rescuing Anne Frank and then walking around his apartment basically with a dressing gown on, strumming and making these songs about these dreams he's having and this obsession he's having with Anne Frank and obviously the Holocaust therein. Um, That sort of story about an album usually puts me off, if I'm honest. I go, oh, whatever, man, come on get, get hold of but for some reason it just seems to work for me for this maybe it's because i came to it after they'd dis, after they'd broken up and after they'd vanished and they, they weren't even a band if they would carried on releasing stuff maybe that myth wouldn't that mythos and the look back would it's like when bill hicks died two dvds brilliant isn't he's done he's, he's released nothing since to ruin his to ruin his reputation uh, whereas some bands have had to keep going and keep going, and then they release a bad album, and then they get a bit fat, and then you go, "Oh my God, Jesus!" Bono's let himself go. Don't know why I chose Bono. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> whereas this was a cut off, was a cut off and gone, and you don't get many mysteries in music anymore. You know, like where did they go? What happened to them? Usually, you know what happened to them. Yeah. They're, they're knocking around somewhere, or they appear on they appear on some. Oh, where are they now? um vh1 documentary or or like the, the, the was it what was uh the canadian punk thing was it some 41 and then I saw, I saw a picture of him like 20 years later go oh my sweet jesus he has not aged well um this would have happened to jeff mango but he wasn't there for it to to happen to right I mean, um, I, I have no, I have this, this. I have, I'm not, I have no wrap up for this bit of talking. I'm just hoping someone else starts talking. Aaron, no,
0: no one else has. <laughs> it. I think that I think the fact that he disappeared is one of the main things that did. I, I think I I started liking this album before I actually knew the story of him disappearing. To be honest, um, and it it did resonate with me. But um, I think a lot of it came down to the fact that all these people were talking about, it, all these people were being influenced by it, and it just started building and building. When you get like the Arcade Fire, who's like. Oh my god like I I we 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 do everything we do because we really want to make our own version of in the airplane over the sea and everyone's like oh the arcade fire back when people didn't hate them that would be like oh yeah that was a really good thing you know and it's it I think so many people were influenced by them. I think in the in the early two thousands, you couldn't you couldn't throw a rock into a into a bar without hitting some guy that was in a band that was like, let's add some accordions to our indie rock. You know, that was just the thing. <laughs> um, oh God! So are they
1: responsible for things like Fleet Foxes and stuff? Yeah, like that? yeah. That, I, I mean, that's I think that's a lot of it. Where that where
0: they came from? Like Beirut, I, well, I love Beirut. Like I love a lot of that stuff. Um, Devotchka, all that like that Balkan folk, European. Folk music mixed with American indie rock type thing. I mean, that's I think that it might have started from other people, but this is for me where where it feels like that that big obsession came from. Um but that's I also think, why,
2: go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna say that's probably the best answer. Cause the more I think about that, like the Decemberists. I mean, all these bands were naming. I think the reason why this album was revisited and um, you know, reassessed was oh yeah, look at everything that came after them i mean i i I hear a lot of the decemberists in in an airplane over the sea but the decemberists have a better singer and better musicians um and i think that's kind of what happened is just people um who could play their instruments better did a better job with that style
1: but then you say when people hold up uh, daniel johnston and and you, can, you listen to Daniel Johnson can go, can't, he can't play the piano and he can't play the guitar and he can't sing. And he doesn't know how to finish writing a song. But there's amazing genius here in this amateurist wonder. Uh, and I guess there is that. But then maybe having someone who is influenced by you who is technically better and maybe it loses something when they are technically better um i was gonna say nick one thing we didn't one one of the few times jeff mangum resurfaced over the years was he basically uploaded an album which was just f- field recordings of bulgarian folk music because he went to Bul- bulgaria mm-hmm. there was some mu- folk music he recorded it uploaded it to, to the website and then it dis- disappeared for another five or six years um yeah i mean that's that, that's what happened and then He came back all of a sudden. um, After all the articles saying they're never going to appear again, Jeff Mangum announced he was going to do uh, a solo tour. Um, It took me an hour to get the tickets. And that hour was five pages on Ticketmaster loading so slowly because it was collapsing under the weight of people trying to buy tickets to this one show at Union Chapel in London. And obviously he played stuff in, uh, in America as well. Um, he did this solo tour and then the band reformed and toured for a year or two, but I I missed that. Um, I will say, um, my favorite song, one of my favorite songs of all time is True Love Will Find You in the End by Daniel Johnston. And when Jeff Mangum sang that, and as one of the final tracks at Union Chapel in London, I openly cried and I don't give a shit. I just wept and wept and wept. And at the end of it, uh, went home and, um. Yeah, so Anyway, why did they go? I mean, how? It's not like they came back for the money, right? It's like most people they come back. Like, yeah, new album, I, money.
0: Did it? Did, can you? Do you have any proof that they didn't come back for the money? And, and why shouldn't they? I don't fine, have. You know? pr- I don't have yeah. proof for anything I say on this podcast.
3: What? Is, I mean, when you as you were telling that story, I was just thinking, there's a guy who knows how to orchestrate a comeback tour. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Because here's the thing, they didn't. It's not. It's not like like Jeff went and recorded a bunch of new songs or anything for it. He just went and did the same thing. And I think, and this is this is gonna be Jeff. uh, If you're listening to this, um, I'm really sorry. This is this is not personal. I think one of the reasons he left is he had nothing left in the tank. I think he had two albums. That was it. Um, he was all like, if you look on, if you listen to On Avery Island and listen to In the Airplane Over the Sea. Like a lot of those songs in there sound like rehashings of the same songs. The the melody for, um, what was it? <sighs> Three Peaches. Three Peaches sounds a lot like o Comely. Like you listen to stuff we're going to talk about, of course, Ferris Wheel and Fire. Um, some of that stuff li- sounds the same. He's been rehashing the same songs again and, and again. You know, if the that's same true, melodic tricks. I don't think he had anything left. And I think he realized, I don't think he could have made another album that would have been anything but a just the same album again.
3: And if it's true, then that's entirely to his credit that he chose to stop. You know, that's like because uh, there was the same like Linton Kwesi Johnson said that when he like he did two or three albums in the early '80s and then spent the rest of his career with people asking why don't you do more stuff? And he said, I don't want to be that guy. I know I've done my best stuff already, and I don't want to do the diminishing returns thing. And you know, I think that's a credit to an artist who can recognize. I've done my best work now. I'm not going to improve on it.
1: Um, you just heard Nick say that, that that was Neutral Milk Hotel's best work. So we're going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also also because of the time. Um, so mean, they, came Island, <laughs> they came back. They, 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 they did the money box set, basically, um, which did have, obviously, nice versions of, of vinyl versions of singles, B-sides, uh, the albums. Um, not Hype City, oddly enough, um, but then also had Ferris Wheel on Fire, which will we'll, I not talk about massively, but we'll talk about just a little bit. Ferris Wheel on Fire, which was um, basically all but one had been unreleased, and that one was Engine coming back, which was quite a nice bit of symmetry. First album, first release, last release, um, and yes, they sound like different versions of the songs that be. Most of them sound like different versions of the songs that populated the two main albums. I think it's great. I mean, I, I, I think um, Oh Sister, like the opener, I think is absolute banger. And I think it might be one of their better tracks that should have been on one of the albums. Um, I think, I mean, that, follow, that follows off with uh, Ferris Wheel on Fire. Um, I Will Bury You in Time is a great track. Um, I don't know. I, I think it was a nice thing to come back with. And it does sort of show um, evolution of a band and, yeah, you know, it's nice when you get those sort of B-sides, particularly if those B-sides have somehow been hidden for 20 years. Because usually, partic- I don't know how a band like Neutral Milk Hotel with the rabid fan base and people desperately wanting some information managed to have a bunch of songs that no one had fucking heard. Because someone would have released that on the internet, Right. I mean, radio had all had, had all their stuff stolen and released on the internet. They had to pretend they were going to give it to charity. I mean, how did Neutral Milk Hotel have these have a couple of tracks that didn't get out? Um, I'm gonna. I, I mean, I would ask Nick, but he'll probably go. I, I can't remember it. So, Lyle, did you listen to Ferris Wheel on Fire?
2: Yeah, I did. Um, what are your uh, thoughts? Um, I, I guess I yeah I agreed with you. Oh, Sister was good. Home, a baby for pre. I find mainly with with them. Um, I don't I don't like the ballads. I like the stuff that rocks a little bit more, but, um, yeah, it was, it was all good demos that I would have liked to have heard, uh, produced a little bit more.
1: But then maybe overproduced and become that cacophony that, uh, drove me off. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I like, I like our sister. I'm not sure I'd like it with bagpipes. Um, Aaron, <laughs> I mean, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I mean, this is more of a sort of a wrap up album, but it came out and you know, obviously, I mean, it's, 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 it's out there to to listen to Aaron. I mean, are these, do these tracks stand out for you? Or are they all substandard? knock substandard should have been left in the. I don't
0: know. I wouldn't say they're substandard. It, it just it just kind of sounds like one of those uh, morning radio shows. Like, oh, we got Jeff Magnum in the studio with his acoustic guitar. You know, there's two feel good news stories, and like, here's him playing an acoustic version of Babies for pre. You know, it's 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 nice stuff. I, I did one thing I did want to notice is my dreamed girl doesn't exist. Green Day's When I Come Around.
1: Oh yeah, Zach same riff. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, which which was first? Uh, Green Day. This, this would have
1: been Dream Good Die. It was ninety six. When was when I come around?
0: Oh uh, yeah, that was like ninety three, ninety two, ninety three or so. Yeah,
1: uh-huh. I, I don't know. Um, so, so
0: basically, previous... what we're trying to say is that uh, Green Day is the reason that Neutral Milk Hotel exists. That
1: is a nice bit of a wrap up, I guess. I mean, we we not <laughs> spent... spend. Uh, I mean, let, uh, why don't we finish on? If it wasn't for Green Day, Neutral Milk Hotel wouldn't have existed. And we wouldn't be doing this, and we're not going to be doing Green Day either. Um, oh, no. Okay, Nick. I, I, to be honest, the fact that you liked one of them is more
3: than I expected. That's fifty percent of their um, studio album discovery, yeah, I mean, isn't it? Going. You know, it's, it's you like
1: liked, it's your You liked more of Neutral Milk Hotel than I did of uh, Can, so I still win. <laughs> <laughs> um, I might know, have liked so more
3: mean... of I might have liked more of Neutral Milk Hotel than I liked of Can. But that doesn't that doesn't make them the better band. <laughs> that just means Can did a lot of shit.
1: Yeah, but that's it. Maybe like this is a, this is the thing we we're talking about earlier on. Um, he's put so much into those two albums. It left him emotionally spent, maybe creatively spent. He disappeared. If Can had disappeared um, at the end, well, when we if we go back and listen to the podcast, we did two episodes of Can. There's basically. One episode, which everybody apart from me said, this is really good. And one episode of, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was, but maybe if Can had disappeared into some myth. Oh, for sure. Yeah. After like,
3: uh, what, future, future days? Future, future days, yeah. That would be the place days, where maybe they probably should have stopped.
1: If they'd vanished and no one knew who they were or where they were, then maybe they'd, they'd have that myth as well. Sure, um, sure. Okay, so we didn't really dwell on, 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 on the final bits of B-Sides that came out, but obviously it's a band that has two main albums. And to be honest, we've talked more about this band and their two albums and some episodes with four or five or, or, or six albums. Um, Lyle, thank you ever so much um, for coming back on. I'm not going to ask you to do a Jeff Mangum impression this time. Oh, go on. But, but were there any hey. Ramones moments?
3: There you go. <laughs> See, he'd, he'd be preparing that because he knew you'd ask.
1: <laughs> oh, and I forgot to go. Were there any o o on moments in the aeroplane over the sea?
2: Yeah. Uh... <laughs> King of Carrot Flowers Three, Ramones. oh, oh, oh. There you go. That's <laughs> <in> my notes. <laughs>
1: yeah. but that was it. That track was the first track of Hype City soundtrack that came back. Up oh, and over okay. we go. It was the same. It was. It was a track trying to find a home. And live at Jittery Jones, he had the Jesus one. He didn't. He needed to put that somewhere. And then he went, "Oh, well, I've got these two half-finished songs. I just put them together and go. Oh, oh, oh." Um, Aaron, um, thank you ever so much. For- for your hard work, thank you for coming back on, and thank you for not making me the only neutral milk hotel fan on this episode.
0: Well, I mean, I'm I'm glad that we finally found an album that we both like. I mean, it's yeah, that is that is weird. Weird. I don't know oh, if I yeah. like it as much anymore.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, basically, I've just ruined in the airplane over the sea for, for Aaron by liking it. So maybe we should call it quits there. Uh, thanks everyone for coming on uh, and Nick. It's been time. an
3: absolute pleasure. Thank you. Bye. A huge thank you to everybody who took part in this show. We welcome back temporary fandom stalwart Aaron T. White, whose introductions were wonderful as always. And if you're in Norway, go and check out his stand-up show. I don't know, you might be. Thanks also to Lyle Wagonek, who no longer has a fly in his milk, for which fact I find myself strangely disappointed. Cheers also to Ewan, my assiduous co-host, and to Jonathan Fisher for cooking up our awesome theme tune. If you like us, don't forget we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash tempfans. We're just looking to cover our costs so we can keep doing the show. There are so many amazing bands we still want to share with you. And if you can't afford to bung us a few euros every month, then just leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or something. It really helps. I hope you enjoyed Neutral Milk Hotel, and whether you did or not, we're sure to tackle a band you love soon. Keep listening. Until then, I'm Nick Hilditch, and one day we'll die and our ashes will fly from the aeroplane over the sea.